You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Happy Tuesday to all of our listeners. Glad to be joined by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. We're going to try to completely distance ourselves from that debacle that was the Seahawks 17-12 loss to the Giants on Sunday. We're going to wrap up with some defensive takeaways, mostly positive stuff on today's show. And the Seahawks and Jets, a lot of players and coaches in the past that have spent time with both teams, we're going to go back in time a little bit and throw back Tuesday, and we're going to look back at some of the players and coaches that have had time with both organizations. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing sports parents, fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. Coming off a difficult 17-12 loss to the Giants, there's obviously a lot of negativity in Seattle, and for good reason. But if you're looking for reasons to be optimistic, this would be the Pete Carroll way. This football team has a chance to get a lot of good players back here in the next few weeks, including this week, Pete Carroll yesterday indicating right tackle Brandon Shell as well as cornerback Quentin Dunbar have a good chance to get back to practice this week. Dunbar will be coming off of injured reserve. He's been nursing a knee injury for a good portion of the season. It sounds like he's turned the corner and the organization is optimistic about him being healthy moving forward. And Brandon Shell is moving well. He was close to being able to play last weekend. And as we'll talk about in the second quarter, he's got a, a different reason for motivation to get back for this game in particular. So two very key players at positional groups that have been ravaged by injuries coming back with a chance to play this weekend against the Jets. Yeah, and I think that it's appropriate that we start off with Brandon Show. As you mentioned, Corbin, we're going to be talking in the second quarter about uh, you know some of the players who are going to be returning uh, to New York with, with the Seahawks uh, you know, or returning to play against their, their former team, I should say, with, with the New York Jets uh, and former uh, Seahawks who are now with, with the Jets as well. And I don't know that, that any of them um, are, are going to have as much of an impact as, as Brandon Show will. We've seen the way that Seattle's offense has struggled to find any type of rhythm with the, the inconsistent blocking that, that Seattle has seen at the right tackle position since Shell went down with that ankle injury. So um, should he be able to return for this game as expected, then I really think that that is going to be a huge step forward for this offense. And then, as you mentioned with Chris Carson, obviously he's a difference maker as well. He has been able to play the last couple of games, but not been able to be kind of that bell cow runner. Um, and so again, I think that if you if you have both of those players back, Shell at right tackle, Chris Carson being the the guy at the running back position, then I think that it's pretty easy to see that that Seattle's offense should be back on track. And if that is the case, I think the Seahawks will be back on track. Absolutely. I think Brandon Shell, when you look back at the Seahawks offseason moves, and we'll have time after the season gets over to evaluate all the free agent signings, all the trades that the Seahawks made 
to try to improve their roster this offseason. I think the Brandon Shell signing in terms of value and productivity has easily been the best signing that the Seahawks made in free agency. You got him for a pretty cheap price, two years around $11 million, and he's got a close to 80 overall grade in pass protection from pro football focus. They have missed him immensely the last two games in that capacity. His run blocking hasn't been quite as solid, but he's still been serviceable in that category. He's not a player that gets penalized a lot. He's had a few false starts this year, but he's generally been very effective in pass pro. He's been serviceable in the run blocking department. And again, they have missed having him out there getting Chris Carson back to where he can be cut loose as Pete Carroll worded it yesterday is going to be a big deal for him. And of course, Sticking with the backfield, Rashad Penny gets to practice for the first time tomorrow, and that's really big news for the Seahawks as well because, as we've talked about several times this season, whenever Penny does come back, he is going to provide a different type of back than the Seahawks currently have on their roster with his explosiveness, his home run threat ability, and especially when you consider Carson and Carlos Hyde have been banged up I can't think of a better time to get him back in the practice field. And hopefully you can have him out there for two or three games going into the playoffs. And you can have all three of those running backs clicking on all cylinders once the postseason gets here. So a lot of positivity on the offensive side of the football. And of course, Quentin Dunbar, Carlos Dunlap being healthier going into this game against the Jets. The defense is feeling pretty good about itself and they're much healthier on that side of the ball as well. So there's a lot to be excited about here in the next couple of weeks, as long as they don't have other players get hurt in these upcoming games. They could be near full strength by the time the regular season ends, and that's always a big plus when you're going into the playoffs. Yeah, that's the thing, Corbin. I mean, as you well know, I mean, the, the NFL season is just such a long one. Um, and especially right now with, with, with COVID, uh, you know, through just throwing one more factor in, into the equation. Um, and, and so the, the the idea of, of playing your best football in November or early December has never made much sense to me. Uh, you know, I think that, that for those people out there who are, again, kind of the, the chicken littles of the world and the sky is falling down because you lost to a, a team in the NFC East that, that we talked about that was, uh, you know, presented a, a really difficult matchup uh, with, the, with the Giants this past week. We saw just last night with the Pittsburgh Steelers being shocked by the Washington football team. I mean, they there are some good football teams out there who don't have very strong records right now, but they are starting to play good football down the stretch. I still feel very confident that Seattle has some really good football um, still uh, in, in their schedule, just because, as you mentioned, they are healthy and getting healthier. And so that, to me, is one of the biggest reasons why it is easy to kind of enjoy uh, some of Pete Carroll's uh, eternal optimism because it doesn't feel fake. It doesn't feel contrived. This is a team that is getting healthier and a team that historically throughout Pete Carroll's time as head coach in Seattle, they have historically got better as the season goes on. So to me, the last week's loss to the Giants um, to me is the wake up call that this club needed to make sure that they are playing their best football at the end of December, going into January when the games actually matter. The only downside when you're looking at the injuries the Seahawks have had Daryl Taylor, their second-round pick, just had an injection in his leg. He's still not right. Pete Carroll said it's going to take a few more weeks till they know what that next step is. Well, we have four games left in the regular season, and this rookie has not played in a single practice. He didn't participate in training camp, and so 
we have now reached the point where it's very unlikely that Daryl Taylor is going to be playing at all this year, and the Seahawks are still holding out hope they can get him out on the field. But we have reached crunch time now where even if he does come back in a few weeks, you're almost to the playoffs, and the Seahawks still have to clinch that playoff spot. So I'm not saying he can't come back and contribute. It just seems like that's far-fetched this point with all the setbacks that have happened. So that's the only downside. But this team overall is going to be much healthier here in the next few weeks. They're going to be much closer to full strength at the perfect time. When we come back for the second quarter, we're going to look back for our Throwback Tuesday segment at some coaches and players that spent time with both the Seahawks and the Jets. It's fitting with the fact that Jamal Adams and Brandon Shell will be going up against their former teams on Sunday. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. If you're like me and can't wait to see Russell Wilson cook for the Seahawks this fall, Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. Because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This is Corbin Smith, your host, joined by Rob Rang. It's Throwback Tuesday. Typically on this segment, we're looking back at past matchups between the two teams, Seattle and whoever their upcoming opponent is. But we're going to change things up just a little bit this week, Rob, because you and I were talking about this planning for the show today. Jamal Adams and Brandon Shell are going to get a chance to go against their former team, the New York Jets, for the first time. And Brandon Shell, I remember the offseason, he was asked by somebody if the Jets made an attempt to sign him, and he said pretty much no, that never happened. It seemed like he was disgusted about how things ended there. And, of course, we know about the fallout with Jamal Adams forcing his way out of town and getting traded to the Seahawks. And so both of these players have extra motivation going into this game, and that can bring up some incredible performances. It also, as Pete Carroll pointed out yesterday, can serve as a distraction that ends up hindering play. So he told reporters yesterday that that's something he's going to emphasize with those two guys this week, that I understand, I acknowledge why this is a big deal to you. We just got to make sure that it doesn't become a distraction and it doesn't become bigger than our game plan and going out and getting the victory and treating this like a championship game as the Seahawks do each week. But with that being said, there have been a lot of players and coaches that have spent time with both the Seahawks and the Jets over the years, some really good players at that. But I would, I think we'd be remiss not to mention, as the first person on our Throwback Tuesday segment, that Pete Carroll kind of started his coaching career as a head coach with the New York Jets. Yeah, he spent five years in New York with the Jets, and that last season being uh, his one year as the, the head coach there, and didn't have quite as much success in New York as you might have guessed after only having the one season. They finished with a 6-10 and 10 record, but but still, um, again, it, it's a lot easier to, uh, to kind of believe in, in Pete Carroll's optimism when you see how healthy the team is. It's a lot easier to listen to a head coach who says, hey, don't get distracted by the uh, you know, by all the other stuff in going back home, so to speak, because he's actually doing the same thing. And I think that this is kind of a kind of a fun way to, to look at this team because obviously this is the, a Seahawks club that, as you mentioned, that they, they traded for Jamal Adams. So you know that Adams is going to want to um, be able to go back to New York and kind of have a, a splashy performance there. Um, and I think that on, on the same time, on the same side, Bradley McDougal. 
um, one of the players, obviously, that the Seattle traded away, um, along with those draft picks to acquire Adams, he's going to want to prove to the Seahawks that, hey, you shouldn't have traded me away. I'm a good player, too. So I think that the emotions of that are, are going to be kind of fun. Um, and then when you look at the last time the Seahawks played the Jets, of course, that was way back in 2016. And, and while the Seahawks still had some of the stars that, that they have now, the Russell Wilsons, the Bobby Wagners, the KJ Wrights of the world, the, 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 this, these are completely different rosters. I mean, you, you look at that, see how uh, their, their leading runner in that game was Kristen Michael. The, the Jets quarterback at that point was Ryan Fitzpatrick. I mean, the, the head coach was, you know, was not Adam Gase. So I think that it, it does make some sense to look at the players that are returning to New York, um, as, as well as some of the guys in history who have played for both franchises. And there's been some good ones, including the Hall of Famer Kevin Mawai, a player that you and I kind of talked about about Corbin during the offseason when we were breaking down the, the 100 greatest Seahawks of all time. Uh, you know, Kevin Mawai being drafted by Seattle and, and wound up uh, finishing up his, his career in New York, among other stops, um, just an absolutely fantastic player. Um, and he was one of, of several offensive linemen that, that played for both franchises, including one of my favorite players growing up, Pete Kendall, another guy who just played with the, the tenacity, the aggression that Mawai did as well. Those are the types of players that fan bases in Seattle and New York could appreciate. And we've talked about this several times before. Kendall and Mawai were on the same offensive line at one point. And it's so strange saying this because we, when we look at the early 2000s, you had Walter Jones and then you had Steve Hutchison get drafted and Chris Gray was brought in. Robbie Tobeck, that was one of the best offensive lines in the NFL but even when the Seahawks were struggling throughout the 90s, they had plenty of talent along the offensive line. And I've had a lot of people over the years tell me, well, Kevin Mawai wasn't that great with the Seahawks. If you go back and you watch the film from his four years there, if he was playing on a team that wasn't below 500 or right at 500, he would have made a couple of Pro Bowls during his four years in Seattle. But he needed to get out of town and go to the big market of New York to really get noticed. And he played for some decent Jets teams that made the postseason. He never could get there in his time with the Seahawks. And Pete Kendall was on the roster in 1999 that made the playoffs. And then he left after that. And he spent a long career with several other teams, including the Jets and the Cardinals, among others. Had a fantastic career. And as you mentioned, it just a nasty run blocker. He and Mawai, those two guys were so much fun to watch growing up. And like I said, that was the one of the really that was really one of the strengths on that Seahawks team. And we've talked so many times in the 90s, they had a lot of talent. They just didn't have a quarterback. And in the NFL, it's very difficult to win games under those situations, even if you have talent, all those other positions. And unfortunately, they just couldn't get over that hump of being an eight and eight team. And Mawai and Kendall both ended up leaving. Luckily for Seahawks fans, they did find some suitable replacements that came in, and the Seahawks eventually made the Super Bowl. A player from that era wasn't on the team when they made the Super Bowl in 2005, but Reggie Tung was on the team a couple years before that. And Reggie Tung, to me, is one of the most underrated safeties that's ever played for the Seahawks. And part of the reason is there have been so many great safeties that have played in Seattle. And 12 of his 15 career interceptions came with the Seahawks. He had three sacks, two defensive touchdowns. This guy was a playmaker that could pick passes off. He could make plays in the football. You could blitz him and he could get in the backfield and hit quarterbacks. He was a very underrated player, unfortunately played in some defenses that weren't all that great during the early 2000s, and he did have a uh, tendency occasionally to take risks, end up getting burned for it, but had 
some very good seasons in Seattle. He had one good year in New York, played all 16 games, had a solid season with over 70 tackles for them. And so he's one of the better players that has spent time with both franchises that maybe fans aren't as aware of because he was kind of an under-the-radar standout on Seattle's defense. He was an under-the-radar kind of a guy, but at the same time, because he made some big plays with the Seahawks, you know, 12 of his 15 career interceptions were with the Seahawks, uh, two defensive touchdowns, and he became kind of a fan favorite, and we can't really have the fan favorite conversation talking about Seahawks and Jets players and not mention Leon Washington, not mention Jermaine Curse. speaking of Super Bowls. And, of course, Curse wound up being traded to New York. It was one of the very first times that, that trader John Schneider was, uh, you know, kind of working his magic and traded Curse to the Jets um, to acquire the, the big defensive tackle Sheldon Richardson, who wasn't quite as productive in, in Seattle, uh, maybe as, as expected, but at the same time, he brought some toughness to the team as well. Similar the way that the Curse brought some toughness, brought, brought some some big play uh, panache to the Seattle's receiving core, and the way that Leon Washington did the same thing as a running back and, of course, as a return man. So, again, some of the very popular players that the fan bases in both Seattle and New York uh, would grow to appreciate. It's not just the guys who were the tough guys along the line of scrimmage, although there was a lot of them. They're definitely with some skill position players as well. Yeah, Leon Washington was a guy that in New York and Seattle was beloved because of his ability to change a game in an instant as a kick returner. He made a couple of Pro Bowls. He was an all-pro selection after the Seahawks got him. And what makes his story so remarkable he had a devastating broken leg injury that ended his time in New York. And I know there were a lot of people out there that believed his career was done after that injury. And the Seahawks took a chance on him. They brought him in via trade. He was healthy and he still had its burst, his explosiveness returned. And he was a dynamic force for them for the three seasons that they had him. And he kind of helped usher in that really dominant era for the Seahawks. Unfortunately, was not on that 2013 team that won a Super Bowl, but he was on their 2012 roster that nearly got to the NFC Championship game, and he made some big plays for the Seahawks that year, and of course the two years prior to that as well. So he was electric. Jermaine Curse, we know all the clutch pay, uh, clutch plays that he made for the Seahawks in the playoffs in particular. His best season statistically, though, came the year that he was acquired by the New York Jets when he was more of a focal point for their offense and so he had good runs with both teams. He spent two years with the Jets. And really, you can argue the Jets got the better end of that trade because they ended up getting a second-round pick along with Kurz. And the other player, Sheldon Richardson, had a good season for Seattle but only had one sack, and it ended up being a very expensive rental. They didn't re-sign him, and he left, signed a deal with the Vikings. Now he's with the Cleveland Browns. He's bounced around a bunch but had one good season with the Seahawks, had some really good years to open his career with the New York Jets. So there's quite a bit of star power here and some guys that maybe weren't stars, but were really good, solid football players like your Pete Kendall's, your Reggie Tongues of the world. Brando Giacomini is another one that comes to mind that everyone in Seattle knows he was a holding machine, but he was also a very solid right tackle for that Super Bowl winning team in 2013. So he is a player that has an important piece in Seahawks history as well.
He is. Uh, you know, I'm happy that you mentioned Giacomini because, again, another tough guy uh, that I, I think that just really kind of redefined Seattle along that right tackle position and, and just along the offensive line, uh, you know, just brought some, some physicality. Another one, James Carpenter, um, one, one of Seattle's first mm-hmm. uh, first round picks uh, of this era, um, wound up playing some, some time in New York. So to me, Corbin, what it, it's kind of fun to go in the, in the, the way back machine. But to me, what this is kind of comes down to is, again, what we started off the, the segment talking about it is just the idea that can the, the 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 former Jets on the Seahawks roster now, especially Jamal Adams, can they harness that emotion? Because you know they're going to want to show off to that their former uh, you know fans. They're going to want to well, in the case of Jamal Adams, he's going to want to show off to his former defensive coordinator Greg Williams, who is going to of course be watching this game on television because he's not going to be on the sidelines. And so Adams, being the excitable player that he is, um, Brandon Shell coming off that injury it's going to be critical for Seattle to uh, to get solid play out of both of them if they do I think the Seahawks have a, have a great chance of of being a Jets team that is still looking for their very first victory of the season certainly one of the big storylines the biggest one's got to be around Jamal Adams but of course Brandon Shell going against his former team as well that's something that'll be talked about a lot as we gear up for this game on Sunday when we return for the third quarter We're going to finally wrap up our discussion on the Seahawks versus Giants. I think all the fans out there are hoping to move on, and we kind of are eagerly as well. The good news is we're finishing with defense where there were a lot more positives to take away from Sunday's loss to the Giants. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As an avid runner and weightlifter, it's never easy to stay on top of your game. Whether I'm trying to increase my max on bench press or cut my best mile time by 10 seconds, there are always obstacles and you have to find a way to power through them. What is your wall and how do you run through it? For me, I turn to Built Go, the healthy replacement for your energy drink. Coming from the makers of Built Bar, you know it's top quality and delicious. Easy to take in one and a half ounce packages, it's the best workout gel on the market without the crash feeling you get from products such as 5-Hour Energy because it's all natural with one-third of the caffeine of a monster drink. Built Go comes in three delicious flavors including peanut butter honey, chocolate coconut, and chocolate mint. Loaded with the good stuff to help me power to my goals, it includes fast-absorbing collagen protein, beta-alanine, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine to help me get going and promote joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. This stuff literally makes you look better. Visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED and you'll get 30% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 30% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. Welcome back. Glad to have you listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for our Throwback Tuesday episode, Rob Rang. The wait is almost over. The 2020-2021 NBA season is almost here, and the Locked On NBA podcast will get you ready with a special week of shows beginning December 14th. Get previews of every team, division by division, from all 30 of our Locked On local experts, plus waiver wire additions from Locked On Fantasy Basketball, rookies to watch from Chad Ford, and predictions on each division from Rejecting the Screen. Subscribe to Locked On NBA wherever you get podcasts. The Seahawks obviously suffered a devastating defeat on Sunday, dropping them to 8-4 and four in the season. They're now two full games out of the first seed in the NFC. It's going to be very difficult for them to get back to the top and earn a bye week. It would take a collapse of sorts from the New Orleans Saints. And so there's a lot of pessimism surrounding this football team right now. But 
Let's talk positives from this game, Rob. Yes, they were playing a team that was quarterbacked by Colt McCoy, the backup quarterback, but the Seahawks defense again turned in a very strong effort, giving up just 17 points. They got put in some tough spots by the offense, and yet for the most part, they held firm. They had a couple rough drives we'll talk about here in a minute, but our own colleague Nick Lee put it perfectly. Pete Carroll right now is trying to play a glorified game of whack-a-mole because the offense was playing so well early in the season and the defense couldn't stop anyone. And now we've had a complete role reversal here. So Pete Carroll's trying to figure out how can we get our offense going again now that the defense is playing well. We saw that carry over into this football game. And I think it started with the play of Jordan Brooks and Jamal Adams. Those two guys were fantastic on Sunday. It was especially fun to see Jordan Brooks go out there and get 11 tackles to tie with Jamal Adams for the team lead. Nearly had his first interception and had a couple big stuffs in the line of scrimmage. You're starting to see the player that Carroll, John Schneider, and defensive coordinator Ken Norton Jr. were so excited about when they drafted him 27th overall. Exactly. And so when we're talking about reasons to be optimistic, your first round pick is is playing like a first round pick. Your your splashy uh, acquisition, Jamal Adams, continues to be just an absolute game wrecker. Um, you know, these are young players who whose be- whose best play should still be in the future. Um, and so to me, those are two of the biggest reasons why you should be excited about where this defense is going and what the Seahawks still have in front of them. Um, you know, so I, I'm happy that you mentioned Jordan Brooks. I thought that that was his best game um, in the NFL so far. I thought that he was all over the field. Um, you, you, you know, you mentioned the, 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 the plays in, in coverage and, and the physical tackling. It's not just the numbers. It was the types of tackles. I mean, he was hitting running backs and they were going down and down quickly. Um, and so he did. And this was even commented on uh, by Mark Schlereth, the color commentator on the broadcast that, you know, you look at Jordan Brooks and he looks so physically similar to Bobby Wagner. Um, you, you can see why the Seahawks are so excited about uh, about his future. So, yeah, to me, those were two of the absolute highlights for, for the team. Um, the, the fact that they were defensively dominant throughout much of the game. Obviously, you had the two drives where the, the Giants were able to, to break down those big runs, and that is a concern. But at the same time, I think that this is this is a case of, of a, a very good play caller um, in New York that kind of took advantage of, of the fact that Seattle was tiring. Um, the Seattle's offense couldn't uh, you know maintain any type of uh, of consistency on the ball, and so the defense just wearing down as the game went on. I mean, those the, the big guys in the Giants' offensive line did their work, and and so they were able to to create some running lanes, and that's why they were successful. But in in terms of uh, athleticism, in terms of speed, and in terms of power, in terms of technique, for the most part, I thought that this was one of the Seattle's best best performances on the defensive side of the ball. And again, when you look ahead to the Jets, you look ahead to Washington, those are not very dynamic offenses. The same type of stellar play that we've seen from Seattle's defense over the last three, four weeks, I think should continue moving forward. Yeah, I, you mentioned the speed and you mentioned the physicality. Jordan Brooks and Jamal Adams were brought in for that reason. This team badly needed to upgrade speed-wise on defense. We saw it late last year where it just seemed like there wasn't enough team speed. And teams like the Rams were taking advantage of it, especially with running 
reverses and end arounds, different things like that, you could just see the overall team speed was lacking. And that's no longer the case now that you've got Jamal Adams healthy in the field and Jordan Brooks is really finding his way as a rookie. So both those guys had fantastic games. They each made a few mistakes, but you're not going to be perfect. Jamal Adams was responsible for running back Alfred Morris in coverage near the goal line and didn't go out to pick him up in the flats. So that allowed the Giants to extend their lead to 14-5. to And Jordan Brooks missed a tackle on Alfred Morris a couple yards short of the goal line that he should have been able to make. He did a good job sidestepping the block, but didn't get a clean wrap on the ball carry. But you take those plays away. These two guys were sensational on Sunday. And really, the defense as a whole played really well. And again, I want to highlight Quandre Diggs one more time as well, because you and I were both hard on him early in the season. And a lot of it had to do, I just didn't feel like we were getting the impact plays from him. But He has really stepped up in the second half of the season. He had his fourth interception, which is a career high, by the way, with four games left to go to keep adding to that. He seems like he's finding a way to get in the right place at the right time. Ryan Neal with the deflection and Quandre Diggs picks it off. Got it past midfield. If not for stepping out of bounds, the Seahawks would have been set up with incredible starting field position. He didn't give up a single reception in coverage. Had a couple times that he could have made tackles that he didn't finish, but overall, Quandre Diggs is playing as well as any free safety in the game the last three or four weeks. And I've been doing grade reports after each game. He's the only player the last three weeks that has been in the top five for the Seahawks. Not Russell Wilson, not Chris Carson, not DK Metcalf, not Adams. It's been Quandre Diggs who has consistently been playing great football here the last three or four games. He, he really has. Uh, and that's been, again, one of the more encouraging things that we've seen, because you're right. I mean, I, I we both were were pretty negative on, uh, you know, on, on Diggs play early on. And I think that that was deserved. Um, and, and I thought that that Diggs uh, was probably the best defensive player for, for Seattle, maybe even the best player overall uh, for the Seahawks in the loss to the Giants. And, um, you know, before switching off of, of Adams, there was the one play um, where there was the big long run and just the, the effort that Adams showed uh, to be able to to run down Wayne Gallman to me was one of the reasons why you have to be excited about this club. We, we've talked so much about the incredible effort that DK Metcalf showed in running down Buda Baker in that game against the Cardinals. I thought that the Adams, the just the, the, the pursuit angle and the effort that he showed that should have been a, just a breakaway touchdown, uh, that really to me demonstrates the, the type of tenacity that you're looking for, the intensity that you're looking for. That's why you make that type of a trade. So to me, that that's something that deserves some acknowledgement. And then again, as, as you, you know, as you certainly you know, recognize that when you have a quarterback like Colt McCoy, they're, they're not going to be throwing the ball all over the field. But part of that was because the Seattle's cornerbacks, I thought, did a terrific job in coverage. And that was one of the things that Seattle had to be very concerned about. You don't have Trey Flowers. You don't have Quentin Dunbar, two of the guys that you thought you were going to be able to rely on all season long. And yet you still are able to hold, whether it be a journeyman quarterback he's still a starting nfl quarterback who's been in the league for a long long time you're still able to hold him to 105 passing yards so so kudos to shaquille griffin kudos to uh to to dj um you know for for his play i mean to me with, with dj reed showing his agility to me just lines up that much better for seattle because you know you're going to be going up against some dynamic passing offenses when you get to that playoff push you know you're going to have flowers and uh, and dunn Bar back, it makes you feel that much more confident that Reed can be able to slide inside and lock down that nickel cornerback spot. 
Yeah, he continues to play well. He had a couple missed tackles. That was really the biggest downside from this game for me, especially in the second half. And maybe it was that they were just getting worn down because the Seahawks were not moving the ball consistently on offense and the defense kept having to come out and bail them out. Again, this is a role reversal because early in the year it was the other way around. The defense can't stop anybody and Russell Wilson and company is shouldering the load. And now it's just completely taken a 180-degree turn. But the missed tackles are something that the Seahawks have to clean up a little bit. They've gotten better as the season's progressed, but there were some key tackles missed in this game. And that was part of the reason that they really struggled with their run defense on those couple of drives. And again, it was just two drives. I'm not sure what happened. They were able to right the ship after that, and they were able to turn what was a really bad situation, limit the Giants to a field goal, and it kept the Seahawks within striking distance in this game. So the defense overall played well. Uh, the couple of things that worried me a little bit, other than missed tackles and the laps and run defense, I, honestly, there's one other thing that jumped out to me. It was not a great game for the interior defensive line. I thought Jaron Reed and Puna Ford, who I was raving about last week, I didn't think those two guys played very well. I thought they got out-muscled and out physical by the Giants' interior offensive line. Damon Harrison made some nice plays out there, but again, uh, generally just a run stuffer. Their interior line, I thought, had kind of a subpar game, and and I thought Bobby Wagner, by his standards, didn't have a great game. He made a couple nice plays in coverage, had several tackles, obviously, but he also had a few plays where he had opportunities to get the running back down, and he wasn't able to get there or he wasn't able to get off blocks And we're not used to seeing that happen to Bobby Wagner. So by his standards, certainly not the best performance for the all-pro linebacker. I I agree. Uh, I thought that Bobby Wagner made a terrific play in coverage. Um, Just an absolutely Hall of Fame caliber play that that showed his speed, showed his awareness. His back was completely to the ball um, and just recognized the receiver when he was going up to, to, to make the catch and just ripping the ball out of his hands. That shows beautiful technique, beautiful awareness. But you're absolutely right, Corbin. There, there were too many times that the Bobby Wagner either missed the tackle or blockers were able to get on him, and he was unable to evade those blockers. And that was part of the reason why Seattle did surrender uh, all those rushing yards and including the, the two scores. So that is a little bit concerning because you know that teams are going to try to run the ball down Seattle's throat because they just showed that they were unable to do that against a team that, that had a running back and Alfred Morris and Wayne Gallman that aren't exactly – starters on most people's fantasy football rosters so what's going to happen when you start to face some of those dynamic offenses down the stretch so to me the 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 lack of uh uh, or the the missed tackles i think that you absolutely hit the nail on the head there i would say it wasn't just the interior of the defensive line i thought the edge rushers as well two sacks against this team again you know the the Giants were wise in not allowing Colt McCoy to just throw the ball all over the field. They really did kind of, uh, you know, have a, a pretty simplified game plan here. So there wasn't nearly as many opportunities for Seattle's pass rushers to go after McCoy as the Giants' pass rushers to go after Russell Wilson. But still, Two sacks in this game, one by Mayoya, one by Jamal Adams. Carlos Dunlap has been a player that I certainly have been gushing about every bit as much as you have about Puna Ford, uh, and yet uh, Carlos Dunlap struggled in this game. And so um, obviously some of that was injuries, but still you brought him in to be a difference maker. He was not that against the Giants, so you're hoping that, that Seattle's defense, especially some of their biggest stars like Wagner, like Dunlap, will be able to play better moving forward. 
Yeah, and I'm going to give a pass to the pass rushers in this game just because not only were the Giants not throwing the ball much, but when they did, it was generally a three-step drop and let's get the football out. That was the only way they were going to consistently be able to move the football passing it. They were not going to be able to beat the Seahawks downfield. That's not Colt McCoy's game anyway, and they didn't want to put their offensive line in a position. This is a line that has struggled a lot of the year. They were trying to game plan. Again, Jason Garrett, I thought, did a fantastic job of utilizing the players that he had, the strengths and weaknesses of their offense, and using it against the Seahawks in the second half by running the football. So I'm not concerned about the pass rush. I thought in the first half they had plenty of juice. They just didn't get a lot of opportunities in this game. And the Giants did a good job of mitigating that with the quick passing game. And when you only have a second to get back there, it's very difficult for pass rushers to be able to wreak havoc. And so give the Giants the credit there. I think the Seahawks will have more opportunities when they play the Jets this next weekend Given the structure of their passing game, Sam Darnold likes to hold on to the football. I think this will be a game they'll have a lot more chances to be able to get back there and turn up some heat on the quarterback. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. If you'd like to be a sponsor on our podcast, contact us, LockSeahawks at gmail.com. You can subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcast platform is by going to our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up on tomorrow's show, as we do every Wednesday, it's time to dissect key matchups for the Seahawks' upcoming Week 14 home matchup against the Jets. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks!